So let's, uh, let's dive into God's Word, and uh, why don't I, I'm going to ask you to stand for the reading of God's Word, because it's good to just kind of regularly be um, actively getting up and doing things. Uh, I'm, as a student minister all my life, I learned the, val- the value of brain-based learning and activities. Uh, I'm going to read uh, starting in verse 3 of chapter 6, because we, we did 1 through 7 last week, but I think it's good for us to have a little bit more context as we get into 8 through 15 today. So this is Acts chapter 6. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you. These are the apostles speaking. Choose seven men from among you, the the congregation, who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them. That responsibility was serving the widows um, and making sure that they uh, got, got daily distributions. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. Verse 6, They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The work went on. The word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. And a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen. But they could not stand up against the wisdom of the Spirit gave him the wisdom, the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. Verse 11, Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, We've heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law, and they seized Stephen and they brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who testified This fellow never stops speaking against this holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Father God, as we look at your word today, we thank you that you are the one who fills us with your spirit to do your work. God, I thank you that the gospel is unstoppable. I thank you for the story of Stephen. I thank you for the early church. And Lord, I thank you for what you are doing today uh, through your Holy Spirit and through the gospel. Lord, I pray that we would want to be a part of that this morning. Give us ears to hear. Uh, Give me your words. Lord, we proclaim our dependence on you. Give us a hunger, not just to hear your word, but to do it. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So uh, the, um, I, I love this story because it kind of just ends. You know, in the, in the original Bible, there was no chapters. So it's not chapter 6, chapter 7. The original scriptures, the Greek manuscripts, there was no, we, li- we added the chapters later on. But this chapter just kind of ends here with everybody staring at Stephen. And you're like, wow, what's he going to say? What's he going to do? Well, that's going to be next week. 
and Pastor Dell will be here and he's going to walk us through chapter 7. I hope you guys will read it in advance. But we want to just look at this passage right now. Uh, just reminding you from last week that, and, and we've been talking uh, about what are we full of, okay? And last week was part one and today is part two. So guess what I have over here? Yeah, what are we full of? You know, and I think of that four-letter S word that a lot of us are full of these days. <laughs> and I was telling my son this on the phone yesterday. This is what I was preaching about. What are we full of? And he's like, did anybody say the word? And I'm like, well, it's a four-letter S word and it's self, not the other one. We're full. I hope a lot of us are full of self. And uh, the, the key phrase that I want you to see in this passage in this whole book of Acts is that we are supposed to be full of the Spirit, not full of self. And uh, one of the ways you can know what you're full of is often what, what happens to you when life goes bad, when people bump you, when things don't go wrong. It's really, not, it's really easy to love. Jesus said, you know, anyone can love those who love you. It's easy to be all super nice and happy when things are going well. But when things are not going well, what's inside usually comes out. And that's what I love about the story of Stephen is because he is full of the Spirit of God. And it says here in this passage that he's full of some other things as a result of that. And that's kind of what we're looking at today. Um, our, our big idea this morning is, uh, and you can write this down or put it in a text note if you got a, a little phone or any, anything like that. Uh, our big idea is being filled with the Spirit of God is the foundation for courageous witness for Jesus Christ, no matter what the results. Let me say it again. Being filled with the Spirit of God is the foundation for courageous witness for Jesus Christ, no matter what the results. Okay? If I were to ask you this morning, what is the main thing? What is the thing that we need the most as a church? What do you need as a Christian? What is the most important thing that you need? It'd be interesting to hear what you would say. Um, a lot of times, I, I've, I've literally heard people say, well, the number one thing we need as a church is more marketing, you know, as if that is really the issue, something on the outside. You guys ever heard this joke? Sorry, it's an inside joke. <laughs> but you know what? That's the gospel. The gospel is the thing that we need the most is what we need is a change on the inside. We need Christ to change us. We need to be full of the Holy Spirit so that we can go out and be a courageous witness. We don't need more marketing. We don't need more flamboyance. We don't need a great preacher. We don't need uh, a great band. We don't need a, a air conditioning or be out in the sun. We need the, the Spirit of God to fill us from the inside out. And so I, as, as we jump into this this morning, I think it's good for us to know. Um, the church is growing. The big picture here in Acts 6 is that the church continues to grow. Verse 7 says that they were... That they were um, the word of God spread rapidly and the number of disciples increased. And it's interesting in verse 7 that it says that the priests became obedient to the faith because they were watching and they were seeing how the apostles and the early church was doing life and caring for the widows and caring for the poor and sharing everything. And they looked at that and they said, you know what, there's something real here. It's not fake. It's not fabricated. It's not marketed per se. It's something that's coming from the inside out. And many of them were coming to faith. And then we get this story here of Stephen right now 
which is actually interesting because the people who are pursuing him, who are at first lying about him and, dis- and, and against him, are not the Jewish leaders, the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees that attacked, um, that attacked the apostles and attacked Jesus. It's other Greek-speaking uh, uh, Hellenistic Jews, okay, from other lands. And so the opposition is growing from all different places. And you say, well, why does the church keep growing? Why does it keep growing? Uh, Kenneth Scott LaTourette, who was a history professor at Yale, he said this, Never in so short a time has any other religious faith, or for that matter, matter any other set of ideas, religious, political, or economic, ever achieved so commanding a position in such an important culture without the aid of physical force or social or cultural prestige. Prestige. Other movements spread by conquest or politics, but not Christianity. It's not about politics. It's not about the flamboyance. It's not about the marketing. It's about what was happening on the inside. And uh, that's, that's so powerful. And Stephen has one thing about him that, 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 that has this principle that attracts other people to him. And that, that one thing is, uh, it's not about me. It's not about self it's about God. It's about Jesus. It's about being full of the Holy Spirit. If you've ever known a guy like Stephen, you'll recognize him immediately. It's somebody that you want to be around. And that's kind of the way the church was. Um, I want to give you guys just a verse here. John 7. Uh, John 7. You remember uh, Jesus? Because you know, sometimes people say, well, what about Jesus? What about Jesus? You know, you, you, know, you keep talking to me about the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Well, the purpose of the Holy Spirit is to make known the presence of Jesus Christ in our life, okay? In John 7, on the last, it says in verse 37, on the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Now imagine if you're listening to this guy and he says, let anyone who's thirsty come to me and drink. You know, what, what do you got? You got some wine? What do you have? You have some water? What are you going to pass out? He says this, Whoever believes in me, verse 38, chapter 7, whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up until that time, the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. So even Jesus set pointed us to something better those of us who believe in him are going to experience something going on uh, inside of us Uh, the rivers of living water refreshment the holy spirit i think a lot of times in my own life i especially in my own christian journey i i struggled with this because my emphasis was always on the outward the outward performance if i were to ask you to gauge your christian life right now your spiritual life how would you gauge it and a lot of times, you know, we think of, oh, how much time have I spent in the Word? Am I, am I active in my church? Am I serving? And those are all good things. But the foundation really is, is about relationship. It's about relationship. And that's why last week the, the, the apostles said that the most important thing they could do as leaders of the church was to be in prayer and to be in the Word and ministering the Word and ministering through prayer. I once had, about five or six years ago, I once had a person in this congregation ask me, what do I do during the week? What do you guys do as a staff? 
you and Pastor Bill. Back then it was Pastor Bill. And uh, you guys just sit around and pray. <laughs> I never forgot that, you know. Um, and I don't know where that person exactly was coming from. I tried to understand that, you know, and I, I, I wish we prayed more. Uh, we get together on Tuesdays and pray. I'm part of a prayer life group that prays on Thursday night. But prayer, let me, under, let me help you understand this. Why are, you know, because a lot of times people say Christianity, you know, pray and read the Bible, pray and read the Bible. You want to grow as a Christian? Pray and read the Bible, you know. And then we gauge our Christian life on that. Um, but the, the truth of the matter is this. Think about a relationship that you have with somebody who's very important. Uh, a child, maybe it's your son or daughter, maybe it's your wife or spouse or husband, maybe it's a good, your best friend. What are the keys to that relationship? What makes that relationship work? What is the foundation of that relationship? Isn't it not communication? Isn't it not trust? If you can't trust somebody, the relationship just doesn't go anywhere. Trust is based on truth, okay? So truth and communication are key. Now stay with me here, because in our relationship with God, what is the most important thing that we need to keep priority? Communication and truth. I need to be able to trust God. How do I know I can trust Him? The Word of God. Had a, I, I've been asking some of our students this week if they want to get baptized. And one of the, a lot of the, the, the phrases I keep hearing is, well, I don't feel close enough to God to do that. And I, and I responded, feelings? You know, is it about feelings or is it about a choice? And the person knew where I was going and they said, no, it, I know it's not about feelings, but it's about me making that choice to surrender. And I don't want to surrender, <laughs> you know. And, uh, you know, I, it, it's interesting. And I asked the person, do you think you've been born again? And they said, no. Very interesting. Um, those of us who have made that choice to put our faith in Jesus Christ, we have the spirit within us and we have this ability to pray anytime. And we have the word of God. And so I just want to you know, help you guys to see that, you know, when we say pray and read the Bible, that sounds such like religious talk. But really, it's about a relationship. It's about communication. Let me share one more quote with you, and then we'll jump into Acts 6 again. Um, this is from uh, Daniel Taylor, a great little book called The Skeptical Believer, Telling Stories to Your Inner Atheist. <laughs> we all have an inner atheist, or we all have, we're all practical deists sometimes. We live like, uh, like, like God isn't really doing anything in the world. This is what he said. Very powerful. Those who believe that they believe in God... But without any passion in their heart, without any anguish of mind, without uncertainty, without doubt, without an element of despair, even in their consolation, they believe only in the idea of God, not in God himself. Let me read that again, because I think a lot of times we, we, we can be there. Those, those who believe that they believe in God, but without any passion in their heart, without any anguish of mind, without uncertainty, without doubt, without an element of despair even in their consolation, they, may only, they believe only in the idea of God, not in God himself. In other words, if you have a relationship with somebody, it's going to be messy, isn't it? They're not always going to say the things you want to say. They're not always going to do the things you want to do. You know, and it's, 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 it's messy. And, and a relationship with Christ is messy. And we need to deal with that. 
Um, when Ruth Bell, who later would marry Billy Graham, was a little girl, she had a passion for martyrdom. Uh, this is a crazy story. She grew up in China where her parents were missionaries. She used to pray every night that the Lord would let her be a martyr before the end of the year. Now, those of you who are a little bit young here, talk, uh, the word martyr means somebody who dies because of their faith in Christ. She wanted bandits to capture and behead her for Jesus' sake. This is her as a little girl. Give her some grace. Her sister Rosa used to think, how horrid. So every night when Ruth would pray like that, Rosa would pray, Lord, don't you listen to her. <laughs> now, obviously, we should not pray for martyrdom. We should desire to imitate the bold witness of those who've given their lives for the sake of the gospel. Stephen, the first Christian martyr, who's going to be the first Christian martyr, left us an example of a godly, courageous witness. His name, the name Stephen, means victor's crown. And today we're going to look at him. Okay, I'm not suggesting that a person should wait until he has developed mature character before he begins to bear witness for Christ. You know, the, the big idea this morning is being filled with the Spirit of God is the foundation for a courageous witness for God. All right, and I realize that if you're a new Christian, you can be filled with the Spirit of God. Okay, now you might not have the same maturity though to walk through and bear the fruit of, being, of walking in obedience to the Spirit. You know, the, the, the proof that you're full with the Spirit is fruit on the tree. Do we have any fruit trees here? Okay. And does fruit go, grow immediately? No, it doesn't. It takes a while, and it grows in season. And Jesus, you know, Paul said the, that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, Against such things there is no law, he said. Those are things that the Spirit produces in us as we walk in Him. All right? Uh, often brand new believers are the best witnesses for Christ in spite of their spiritual immaturity, assuming that they have truly repented of their sin. Uh, but godly character gives the most solid foundation for powerful witness, especially when witness is persecuted. God often uses the person's godly character under fire to convict those to whom he's bearing verbal witness. All right, here's our first point this morning. Our character is defined by who we surrender to and what we fill our lives with. All right? You say, Tony, am I filled with the Spirit of God? How do I get filled with the Spirit of God? A lot of that is an inside thing, and it's a choice to surrender. Stephen surrendered himself to Christ, and the Spirit of Christ overflowed through him to others. Okay? He was being filled up. He, our character is defined by who we surrender to. Now, I could have said what, but I'm saying who. Because like Bob Dylan said, you got a what? Everybody's got a what? Interactive sermon here. Bob Dylan, classic song. Everybody's got a... Thank you. Everybody's got to serve somebody. And he got that from Romans 6. The Apostle Paul said, you're either going to serve the devil or you're going to serve God. And, the, and, the, and, the, and he actually said, if you serve yourself and you live for yourself, you're ultimately serving the devil. Um, so who we surrender to and what we fill our lives with. All right. Um, now, we don't know what time gap ex existed between verses 7 and 8. The last thing we knew from last week was that Stephen is, per is, is waiting on tables. But now it seems like all of a sudden uh, he's doing more than that. Verse 8 says, now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power performed great wonders and signs among the people. 
Up until this point in the book of Acts, nobody's doing this except the apostles. So there's a shift going on. And the shift is, is happening and saying, you know what? This is not just going to be about the apostles. This is about the people who are a part of God's church. Uh, Philip is going to be chapter 8. These are both Greek-speaking Jews. These are not uh, Jews born in Palestine. So what, what Luke is showing, Luke is the author of Acts, he's showing that the gospel is spreading and now it's going to go beyond the apostles. And he's also setting the stage for Saul, who's, going to, who's Paul. All right? Um, so we don't know uh, what happened here, but we do know that, that, that he had a godly character. Number one, it says he was full of the Spirit. Verse 3 says he was full of the Spirit. Um, he, they ha he had a good reputation. Uh, this does not refer to having an ecstatic experience. You know, some of us, when we think of being filled with the Spirit, we think of being in a, in a, in a church service and having this awesome experience with God. And I've had some of those, but that's not what this is talking about. This is a daily walk under the control of the Holy Spirit that had continued for a time to produce the evident fruit of the Spirit. He was full of the Spirit. I mentioned that the main evidence of being filled with the Spirit is the fruit of the Spirit. Okay, those qualities are not produced overnight or by an ecstatic experience, but over months and years of walking in the Spirit. Being full of the Spirit does not imply sinless perfection. No one achieves that in this life. Even the most godly of saints have their areas of imperfection and weakness. Even after a lifetime of walking in the Spirit, a godly man or woman can fall into sin, even into serious sin. Can you think of any in Scripture? David, there's one, okay? The fullness of the Spirit is a matter of progressive maturity. A new believer may be as yielded to the Holy Spirit as he knows how to be, but he will not demonstrate the fullness of the Spirit in the same manner as a way that a man who has walked with God for many years. The main thing is daily to walk in submission to and dependence on the Spirit of God. That's why we say character is defined by who we surrender to and by what we fill our lives with. Number two, he was, he was full of the Spirit. He was also full of wisdom, it says. Uh, this Greek word for wisdom, it literally means skill, okay? It's the skill to take what you know and put it into action. Uh, the Greek word for wisdom is only used four times in Acts. Twice here in this passage, verse 3 and verse 10, and then twice in his message before the Sanhedrin in chapter 7, Okay? The Bible, Proverbs says, For the Lord gives wisdom. His, from His mouth come knowledge and understanding. Proverbs 9, and several times in Proverbs, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of is wisdom. Yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? The, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So you say, where does wisdom come from? It comes from knowing God, all right? And it's a skill. Uh, the Apostle Paul said that God's wisdom is summed up in Jesus Christ and the cross. To those who are perishing, remember in 1 Corinthians, he says, to those who are perishing, the cross is foolishness. But to those who have been called by God, Christ is both the power of God and the wisdom of God. 1 Corinthians 1. To be people full of wisdom, we, we must grow in our understanding of the cross of Christ, where human pride is humbled and God's grace is exalted. Uh, it says, uh, so he was full of the Spirit. What are we full of? <laughs> we're, we're full of the Spirit. He was full of the Spirit. He was full of wisdom. He was full of faith. It says that in verse 5. He was a full of faith, referring to his faith in God. 
the, if, you, if you listen to his sermon in chapter 7, there's a certain character of God. Remember, I've said this to you guys many times. It's so helpful. It's not how much faith you have, but it's what you put your faith in. You could have this much faith on this thin of ice, and you're going to go down. You could have this much faith on this thick of ice, and you're going to be fine. You're going to skate. You're going to be okay. Okay? So it's what the object is of our faith. All right? We all have an object that we put our faith in. Some of us put our faith in feelings. Some of us put our faith in experience only. But we should put our faith in the Word of God. But there's a character quality that is so important, and that is the sovereignty of God. And when you read his sermon in chapter 7, you're going to see the sovereignty of God. God is at work despite circumstances. Even when things don't go well, God is at work. Um, we were uh, driving home from uh, Texas this week and uh, listening a lot to the radio. And, you know, sometimes you can listen to stuff on your phone, you know, in these day and age. And then there's other times where you're, you're in the middle of Arkansas and you're just like, well, what's on? The, what's on? You know, well, let's just throw on some stuff. And it's, it's like 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock at night and 1 o'clock in the morning, you know. So it's like, what's going on? We found this Christian radio station that was playing My Little Red Corvette. And then they played Lauren Daigle. It's kind of interesting. Um, uh, by the way, uh, there was an oldies channel. Um, and you know you're old when they're playing Paula Abdul on the oldies channel. Okay? Yeah, a Paula Abdul. Um, but there is a song that we, I got to listen to. It's one of my top, I'd say it's probably top 50, top 100 songs. You know, I haven't made a list yet, but I always say that. Um, and I, I just want to recommend it to you. Uh, Kim Hill produced it, uh, once wrote, sang it, but the person who wrote it was Rita Springer. And the song is called, You Are Still Holy. Holy, you are still holy, even when the darkness surrounds my life. Sovereign, you are still sovereign, even when confusion has blinded my eyes. Lord, I don't deserve your kind affection. When my unbelief has kept me from your touch, I want my life to be a pure reflection of your love. So I come into your chambers and I dance at your feet, Lord. You are my Savior and I am at your mercy. All that has been in my life up to now belongs to you. You are still holy. It's a powerful song. I hope you can uh, check it out. Rita Springer, You Are Still Holy. And it, 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 de it declares a faith in the sovereignty of God even when things don't go well. Okay? And that's what Stephen had. He was full of faith. That's why he was able to stand up in the, in the midst of this uh, and have a courageous witness. Uh, number four, he was full of grace. Look at this. It says this in uh, verse, uh, verse 8. A man full of God's grace and power. Remember it said about Jesus, he was full of grace and truth. John 1, yeah. yeah Jesus was God's grace personified. With regard to Stephen, the, the, the phrase implies a personal understanding and experience of God's grace. Okay? That is so important. Um, recently, I was talking to a friend who, who fell into some sin, and one of the things that I encouraged them to do was to be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Paul said that to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. You know, um, because if you don't know how much God loves you and how gracious He is, you, when, you, when people hurt you, you know, you're going to be quick to lash out and not forgive. And when you fall and make mistakes, which we all do, you're going to be really hard on yourself. 
And you know what we're going to do? We're going to do what Adam and Eve did when we sin. Hide and deny and blame. <laughs> and that's why it's so important to be a person who's full of God's grace. Be strong in the grace of God uh, so that when people do bump you and you mess up, um, you will know that. Paul said this, if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. Romans eleven six. A person who understands and lives God's grace as seen in the cross also becomes a person who shows grace to others. And that's kind of the point here. Uh, he is gracious. It also says he was full of power. God gave Stephen the ability to perform great wonders and signs among people. These works of power are not described so that the readers would gawk. They're simply reported. Whether this power came upon him after the apostles laid hands on him or before, we're not told. Okay? Except for the apostles, only Stephen, Philip, and Barnabas in the early church are reported to have performed miracles. The tense of the verb, was performing, indicates that Stephen was doing these miraculous works frequently. Okay? Now, God can do miracles at any time He pleases, and we should not limit Him by our restrictive theology or little faith. But the biblical evidence is that the gift of performing miracles was was primarily limited to the transitional period uh, for the purpose of confirming the testimony of the apostles, okay? And God's mighty power is shown in our lives when we patiently and joyfully endure trials, not just when we're miraculously delivered from them, all right? Uh, Because I can tell you stories of people who've had miraculous things happen, and I believe God has healed people miraculously. But you know what? On Saturday, we're going to be... We're going to be celebrating the life, but we're going to be grieving the loss of a dear saint that was in this church who we prayed for and was getting better and then all of a sudden took a turn and she passed. And she didn't get the miracle that we prayed for in that sense. Now, we know that she was ultimately healed and is with the Lord. And Paul said it's better to be with the Lord than it is to uh, be here. You and I don't believe that because we love our lives and we love the world and we love, you know, you know, we, we can't, it's hard for us to fathom that. But the reality is, is that um, there's power that's available through us and in us when we go through people in our lives, when, when the loss of people in our lives who die and who pass away. How do we get this power? We get it by being filled with the Holy Spirit. Before I move on to our second point, let me just encourage you to look at Ephesians 5. If you have a Bible, turn there real fast. Ephesians 5. Because, you know, the, the, the point of the message today is to be full of the Spirit. It was last week, too. What are we full of? And you say, well, Tony, what does that look like? How do I do that? And I'm saying it's, it's who you surrender to and what you fill your life with. So Ephesians 5, verse 15, says this. Be very careful, then, how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Verse 17, Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. How do I know that? Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. And that word there, that phrase is be continuously filled. Why? Because we leak. (laughs) And we don't always yield. Being filled with the Spirit is surrendering to the Spirit and allowing Him to come into our life and to, and to be in control. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to let other people have control. 
Um, we were driving home uh, Friday night from, uh, from, the, uh, from, from Texas, and it was getting really late. And um, I had on my phone the Dodger game. Always got to get the Dodgers in, you know, nine straight wins. Um, and, uh, and my wife is, I'm not driving, by the way. My wife is driving. Uh, <laughs> but guess what I kept looking at? I wasn't, I, I, I didn't, I didn't, wasn't looking, we were listening to it, actually. I was able to listen to it. Uh, but it was also, the screen was on my phone. Um, but I wasn't looking at it. You know what I was looking at? I was looking at the road. And I said to Debbie, I said, you know why I'm looking at the road, right? You, you know, you're right, you're right? She, she goes, yeah, because you're a control freak. <laughs> yeah. I was worried about her driving more than I was able to enjoy the moment of watching even the Dodger game, okay? That's why I can't even sleep when someone else is driving, all right? So weird. Why? Because I'm a control freak. I don't like to surrender control, okay? Now, before you have pity on me or think I'm a weirdo, you're a control freak too. <laughs> Probably not in that area, but in other words, we don't want to surrender control to God. That's scary. That's unknown, okay? And that's what it involves, but if you have your Bible, keep it open there. Verse 19, look at what it says. What is, what is the life filled with the Spirit? Verse 19, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Don't underestimate the power of music in your life. I hope you don't just hear worship music on Sunday when Luke plays. I hope you can regularly make time to have worship music be part of your daily life. Because what you listen to and what you uh, chime on, it really is a reflection of what's going on inside. Okay? And this attitude of giving thanks to God the Father for everything, okay, in the name of our Lord. That's what, the, that's what being filled with the Spirit allows us to do. All right? So first question today is what are we filling our lives with, and who are we surrendering to? Number two, our courage in witnessing must be fueled by the Spirit of God and based on the truth of the gospel, okay? Uh, our courage in witnessing must be fueled by the Spirit of God and based on the truth of the gospel. If it's not, you're going to give up, you're going to get discouraged, you're going to quit, you're going to become a person that just lives undercover or says, ah, God will save that person, you know, he doesn't need me or whatever, that person doesn't deserve any grace. Our courage and witnessing must be fueled by the Spirit and based on the truth of the gospel. Remember what Paul said to Timothy? He said, For the Spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. All right, what's going on here? Because of Stephen's godly character that was surrendered to the Spirit of God, he was able to powerfully and courageously preach to the Hellenistic Jews from the synagogue of the freedmen. What the heck is that? The freedmen were descendants of Jewish slaves captured by Pompey in 63 BC, and they were taken to Rome. When they later were expelled from Rome, they, some of them went to Jerusalem, and they formed a synagogue there. Now, scholars are divided as to how, um, how, uh, how many synagogues are represented in verse 9, but probably there were two, the freedmen Cyrenians and Alexandrians on the one hand and the men from Cilicia and Asia on the other. Now you say, who cares? Well, this is important because guess who was from Cilicia? Paul, or known as Saul, the religious guy. Paul was from Cilicia, a province in southern Asia Minor, and may have been one of the debaters who could not cope with Stephen's wisdom in this passage. 
okay? And we know that Paul was there when he was stoned. He was holding people's coats. And it gave him fuel, but it also may have been transforming and planting seeds in his life. So Stephen may have been one of member, a member of one of these synagogues. The early Christians did not immediately leave the Jewish worship services until they were forced out by persecution. But when Stephen began to preach that Jesus Christ was the end of, uh, end of the law for righteousness for those who believe, and that Jesus superseded Moses as the prophet of whom Moses spoke of, it was too much for these Hellenistic Jews. So they first try to refute him by debate. Okay, They're debating with him. And when that doesn't work, they, they use what? If you can't defeat the message, you attack the what? The messenger. Thanks, Dave. Yeah, that is so true today, isn't it? See, the message, the, the point of this whole series in Acts is, is that the gospel is unstoppable, okay? You can't stop the word of God and you can't stop the spirit. And, and, and Stephen was full of the spirit. And so when he spoke, they couldn't stop it. So you know what? We're going to attack the messenger. And how do you attack the messenger? lies. Satan is the father of lies. They did this with Jesus, didn't they? They did the exact same thing. Oh, he said he was going to destroy the temple, you know, and build it, rebuild it in three days. Oh, he said this. He blasphemed this. He did this. You know, all these lies, and they had the false trial for Jesus. That's exactly what's going on here. They accuse um, Stephen of speaking against the temple, the holy place, and the law. They charged him with claiming that Jesus would destroy the temple and the customs that Moses had handed down. Stephen's courageous witnesses teaches us that when we bear witness for Christ, we are speaking to hearts that are blinded by Satan and hardened by sin. Let me say that again. If you're ever going to get serious about being a courageous witness for Christ, you need to know 2 Corinthians 4.4. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the gospel or, uh, 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 and, and, that, and receive the light of Christ. There needs to be a breakthrough, a spiritual breakthrough. Now, what's interesting here is this. Stephen, full of the Spirit, full of wisdom, he out-debates them. He's also full of power. So he's doing signs and wonders. Does that convert these people? No. Do you see why we rely on prayer? Do you see why we have prayer meetings? Because it's not all of our efforts, no matter how good we are, no matter how awesome we are, no matter how great we are when it comes to showing love or giving wisdom, both of those without the power of God and the power of God to sovereignly break through, it doesn't happen. And so these, these people were hardened. And these are the kind of people that Jesus said, you know what? They came up to Jesus and said, hey, give me us a sign. Give us a sign, the, the, the Pharisees. And he said, no sign will be given to this generation. Only the sign of this, that as Jonah was in the whale for three days, so the Son of Man will be in the, uh, in, in the ground and he will rise again. That's the, 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 the biggest sign is the death and resurrection of Jesus. But his point was this. If I show you a miracle, you still won't believe. A lot of people in the Bible saw miracles and did not believe. Judas saw all the miracles of Jesus and still turned his heart against God. Gehazi, the... Uh, the servant of Elijah saw all the miracles of God. His heart was turned to greed. Why? Because he was filled. That's what he was filling his life up with. That's what he surrendered to. What are you and I surrendering to? When we, when we witness to people, we need to realize that, you know, Jesus said, why do you not understand what I'm saying in John 8? He said, it's because you cannot hear my word. 
No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. Religious people are often the most hardened to their opposition of the gospel. I see that all the time in youth ministry. Oh my goodness. You bring a new student in who hasn't heard the gospel and they come into Bible study or they come into our Quip or Edge, they're asking questions, they're talking, they're like, wow, what is this? They may not receive Christ on the spot, but they have this interest. You deal with people who've grown up in the church a lot of times and they're like, what? Yeah, I heard that before. Yeah, I don't know. Didn't been there or done that. And there's a hardening that takes place sometimes. Sometimes, okay? Religious people can often be the most hardened. You know, we often think that the drug addicts, prostitutes, and hardened criminals are blinded and hardened against the gospel. What did Jesus say? Jesus said to the Pharisees, he said, the prostitutes and the tax collectors are entering the kingdom of God before you are because they were willing to receive grace. These Hellenistic Jews built their whole lives around religion, but they did not know God in a personal way and they did not have their sins forgiven. And they're about to lynch an innocent man in the name of religion. Religion can never save a person from sin because it relies on human effort and good works. Religion often keeps a person from salvation because it fosters self-righteousness and pride. A religious person must humble his pride and admit that he's a sinner by coming to the cross of Jesus Christ at salvation. That's why I often say the door to heaven is this high because we all enter on our knees. What did Jesus say? Unless you become like a child, you can never enter the kingdom of God. These religious people, they were opposed to Stephen. When we bear witness to blind, hardened sinners, we should be prepared for opposition. Okay? If any of us ever get serious about being a courageous witness for Christ, uh, as, uh, as, as Jesse prayed in his prayer, we know that in this world we will have troubles. Uh, it was at 2 Timothy 3.12 says, All who desire to live a godly life will be persecuted. <laughs> there you go. Who wants to sign up for that? That's just the reality, okay? So they, they oppose him and they, share li- they spread lies. They spread lies about him, okay? Uh, speaking of Paula Abdul, um, he's a cold-hearted snake. Look into his eyes. Uh-oh, he's been telling lies. He's a lover boy at play. He don't play by the rules. Girl, don't play the fool. He's a cold-hearted... You guys remember that one? Okay, never mind. Just want to keep those of you who are uh, falling asleep awake there. (laughs) Uh, Miracles, logic, and wisdom are not enough to make converts. Only God can do that. Now you say, Tony, well then why why do I even share? Why do I even share? Because God commands us to. God... And that's one of the whole takeaways of this story of Stephen is that God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things, okay? So if you've ever shared the gospel with somebody and been rejected or faced opposition, don't worry, that's normal. But the more you share the gospel, the more you're going to see people come to Christ. It's like Nicky Gumbel who said, you know, when I don't pray, I don't see miracles. The coincidences, the God incidences don't happen. But when I pray, they happen. (laughs) And the same is true with sharing the gospel, I don't see people coming to Christ when I'm not sharing the gospel. When I am sharing the gospel and I am being a witness, I do see people come to Christ because God is able to do that. All right? All right, let's move on. I know you guys are getting a little bit antsy here. Let's, the third point is this. Spirit-filled, courageous witness must leave the results up to God. Spirit-filled, courageous witness. Uh, number one was our character is defined by who we surrender to and what we fill our lives with. 
Number two, our courage in witnessing must be based, must be fueled by the Spirit of God and the truth of the gospel. And number three, spirit-filled, courageous witness must leave the results to God. That's the point here. Uh, the messages of um, the, th- you know, the irony is in verse 15. Look at this. All who were sitting in the council looked intently at Stephen. They saw his face was like the face of an angel. Now, what's the irony there? Who in the Old Testament had a face that radiated like they had been with the Lord, like an angel? Anybody remember that? Who was it? It was Moses. Who's the one that they are saying that he's, the, he's ripping on? He's ripping on Moses. No, and the irony is, is that he looks like Moses. He's got this radiant appearance, okay? Um, and this is kind of amazing because I think Luke intended us to, re- to recall the Old Testament scene. It's in Exodus 34, if you want to check it out, where uh, Moses comes down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the covenant law, the Ten Commandments. He was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. A person who has been in the presence of God, it, 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 it will affect your, your countenance, okay? You're probably not going to get the radiance of Stephen or Moses here. But it says, when Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant. And they were afraid to come near him. <laughs> They're like, whoa, freak out. I'm not going to do this. And then later on, it says Moses you know, put a bag over his head to hide it. And even when he didn't have it, he would hide it. You know, Moses being so human, you know, wanting the people to still fear God. Um, but the point here is that um, Stephen looks just like Moses. And uh, yeah, he's speaking words that were given him by the Holy Spirit. Uh, God often works in ways that confound even the logic of his saints, okay? Uh, you have to lead the results to God, and that's what Stephen did. Uh, no matter what, it, he leaves it to God. God works in mysterious ways. Through Stephen's death, Paul gets saved. But first, the church was scattered through persecution, resulting in even more of a widespread witness. When the godly die young by violent deaths and the wicked live long and prosper, is what, when that happens, that is God's sovereign business. Our business is to be faithful to his great commission and leave the results to him. Okay? Um, uh, I'm going to read one more scripture and then give a conclusion and we're going to wrap up. Uh, If you have your Bibles, turn to Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11. Because what I want you to see is that the New Testament, there are times when God delivers and there are times when he does not deliver in in the immediate sense. And Hebrews 11 is the chapter of faith. Remember that chapter, about, all about faith? Uh, Abraham's faith, Moses' faith. At the end of chapter 11, in verse 32, those of you who have a Bible, turn there. Hebrews eleven thirty-two. Uh, the writer says, What more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, and Samuel, and the prophets. Verse 33, chapter 11 who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. 
They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. Now look at verse 38. Underline that in your Bible, or if you're on the phone, maybe underline it and then send it to yourself in a text. The world was not worthy of them. (laughs) Man, I hope that someday that would be true of my life. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. Since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Now there in the context there, he's speaking of the Old Testament saints, okay, predominantly. And he's looking forward to what we have in Christ and what we have in the fullness of the Spirit. Courageous witness for Christ leaves the results to God. Sometimes people ask me, where, where did I get a call to ministry? I, uh, I came to Christ as a young child, but then I fell away from him when my mom died. And I struggled and wrestled and kind of came kicking and screaming when I was 17. And then I felt a call to ministry and I went to Moody Bible Institute. It's ironic that our new intern is at Moody Bible Institute now. Um, but one of the books that I read, you know, again, character is defined by who we surrender to and who, what we fill our lives with. One of the books I read was uh, Fire in Your Heart by Sammy Tippett. And at that time, I'll date myself, the big issue was the Iron Curtain and Romania. And I had gone on a missions trip to Austria and dealt with refugees from Romania who were coming, uh, from, you know, from, from coming out from under the Iron Curtain and from the Soviet rule and from communism. And Fire in Your Heart was about a Romanian pastor, uh, Joseph Son. He ran away from his co- communist country to study theology in England. Joseph Son, when he was ready to go back home, he discussed his plans with his fellow students. They pointed out that he might be arrested at the border. One student asked Joseph, if you go back there, what chances do you have of successfully implementing your plan? Joseph smiled and said to himself, now this is typical Western thinking. He later wrote, chances of success? I never thought in those terms. My thinking was in terms of obedience. I knew that the king said go, and I had to say yes, sir, and go. And if that meant going back behind the Iron Curtain, you know, this is what he said. He said he turned the question around and he asked God, what if I ask you about success, Lord? And the Lord gave him this verse, Matthew 10, 16. I send you as sheep in the midst of wolves. That's a verse that he sent his disciples out. You remember that? The Lord said to him, tell me, what chance does a sheep surrounded by wolves have of surviving five minutes, let alone of converting the wolves? Joseph, that's how I send you, totally defenseless and without a reasonable hope of success. If you are willing to go like that, go. If you are not willing to be in that position, don't go. Joseph went and God did an amazing work and is still doing amazing things in the the church in Romania and it's affected the church here. 
I want to encourage you guys to ask God to give you the godly character of Stephen so that you will be a courageous witness for Jesus Christ. Leave the results to him. Whether you lose your life as a martyr or whether God protects you, you will, like Stephen, wear the victor's crown. Amen? Let me close by um, just reading that, the lyrics of that song that I, I read earlier, and then I'll pray. Uh, my heart's prayer today is that we would respond to the Holy Spirit and be willing to surrender to Him that he would make us a courageous witness. But whether, he, uh, whether the results are, whether that, what the, the results are going to be is up to him. The question, the real question is who or what are we surrendering to and filling our lives with up? Holy, you are still holy even when the darkness surrounds my life. Sovereign, you are still sovereign even when confusion has blinded my eyes. Lord, I don't deserve your kind affection. When my unbelief has kept me from your touch, I want my life to be a pure reflection of your love. So I come into your chambers and I dance at your feet, Lord. You are my Savior and I am at your mercy. All that has been in my life up to now belongs to you. You are still holy. Father, I thank you so much for the life of Stephen, for his courage for his love. Father, I thank you for the fact that the gospel is unstoppable. Lord, it's not about Stephen. It's about you. It's about your spirit and it's about your gospel. It's about Jesus. Father, I pray that we would fall more in love with the Jesus that Stephen knew. God, I ask if there's anybody here that's uh, struggling with faith and unbelief, that your Holy Spirit would show them who you are. I pray that they would know that even before you are, they are seeking you, you are seeking them. God, I ask in Jesus' name, you'd open up hearts. And Lord, there are people that we all know that we think are too gone, too lost, too hard. But God, you can do anything. Nothing is impossible for you. And though the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers, Father, your light of the gospel can shine through. And so, Father, I ask in Jesus' name that we would trust in you, we would pray to you, and we would be bold, courageous witnesses for you. Not because we have to, not because we should, but because it's an overflow of what you've done in us. Lord, give us uh, opportunities this week to share the gospel. And I pray for even those who might be feeling a prompting to get baptized, Lord, to stand in front of all these people here and maybe invite some friends and say, hey, this is where I stand. Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. God, I pray that you'd prompt them and give them the courage to do that. Lord, we love you, Lord. I pray that you would be our vision as a church. Be thou our vision. Guide us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.